Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for professionals. We work to simplify your finances so you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Hello everybody, welcome back to Beer and Money. I'm your host, Ryan Burklow. Today is a very uh, cool day for me, um, and I'm hoping it's going to be a very cool day for everybody else in terms of what we'll be speaking into. But today we're going to have a special guest on our podcast by the name of Ryan Harris. Uh, he is a best-selling author, and he's also a 10-year veteran of the NFL. And in 2015, he became a Super Bowl champion after winning the Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. And that's Super Bowl 50. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to podcasts for quite some time, you know that I'm a diehard Denver Broncos fan. So that's why I'm really excited to have Ryan on the podcast today. He also played for the Houston, Texas and the Kansas City Chiefs and Pittsburgh Steelers before retiring in 2016. And he, he actually graduated from the University of Notre Dame with not one degree, but two degrees, economics and policy and the other in political science. And he also threw in there, he looks like he's uh, fluent in Spanish. So he's, he's, not a, uh, <laughs> he's not a slow guy, he tends to be a busy guy. Uh, these days, he's actually, uh, you can catch him on Notre Dame football broadcasts. He's got a weekday radio show, Harris, Hastings, and Dover. And he also is on the Fantasy Football Hour. Today, he speaks across the nation around leadership, mindset, and financial literacy, and that is why he's on today's podcast. So without further ado, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Good to be here. Well, um, you know, I know we had a brief conversation before hopping on here, and uh, you started, I, I got to ask, did you, have you always wanted to be an NFL player? Was that kind of your, your dream? You know, when I was growing up, that that was so far. You know, that was like, yeah, I want to be an astronaut, a football player, you know, and the president. And it's like, uh, you know, it wasn't until even I can remember being at Notre Dame. We had a new coach, Charlie Weiss. And after our first year, they called me in and said, hey, coach wants to see you. And I'm like, oh, man, like I didn't do anything wrong. What's going on? And I was sitting in this meeting with Charlie Weiss, the head coach at Notre Dame at the time. And he goes, uh, you might be thinking about leaving, but here's let me show you why I think you should stay. And I was sitting there like, oh, my God, he thought I was going to the NFL. I was like, can I go to the NFL? Oh, So it wasn't really until my junior year, after my junior year, where I was like, okay, this is a reality. And um, and it was just an incredible experience um, looking back on my 10 years in the NFL. Uh, but I, I still remember sitting in the office that day like, and at, at, you know, what is going on? And then Coach Weiss was saying, you know, take some time to think about it and get back to me when you want. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm like, how long do I wait to tell him I'm going to stay in school? So uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was just a, a surreal moment that I was always a member. Well, and uh, obviously the most college athletes, you know, they don't go professional. Um, and the ones that do go professional, I, I don't know the stats. Maybe you can help me with that. How many of them actually get the college degree? Oh, I think I think on average, depending on the year, it's anywhere between um, 30 and I think 62 percent of guys have their uh, degrees from college. So, I mean, you're in an interesting environment. Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know the recent stats, but 
You know, I had some teammates who couldn't read and I had some teammates who had their masters in, uh, you know, who had their MBA. I had some teammates who had their masters in engineering, you know, guys who made, they took advantage of that fifth year of college. So, uh, you know, you really got the whole gauntlet, you know, you know, had teammates who were whose family were pine tree farmers and made their money through pine. And, you know, I had teammates whose, you know, family made money through selling the plastic of, you know, for, for flowers and, and ketchup packets. So, it's uh, it was a great introduction to sectors and industry being in the NFL. Yeah, well, and the reason I, I bring it up is just from a, I mean, I guess it depends on what you study, but just from a a, a business standpoint, a maturity standpoint, um, I got to think that the extra couple of years when you transition to professional and then you know start making um, the money as a professional player that that's got to be advantageous for you. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you know, I had no idea what was going on. You know, one of the things, and that's why I'm so big on financial literacy, is even in, in my economics and policy degree, I didn't, I wasn't taught how to buy a stock. I wasn't taught how to evaluate a stock. I wasn't taught mm-hmm. what saving means. I mean, thankfully, I saw, you know, MTV's Behind the Band in the 90s, and they were talking to Hootie the Blowfish, who said, we save $60 out of every $100 we make. And I was like, wow, that's a good rule. So, you know, and early in my career, I tried to do 80, you know, but nobody tells you that when you give money to people, they're just going to blow it. Nobody tells you that um, you're not the bank when people can't go to the bank. You know, how many times that, you know, I had I lost friendships over, you know, not paying for somebody's divorce. And it's not my job as a 23-year-old to pay for your mistakes yeah. uh, as a grown man. So, I mean, just all kinds of weird things come at players that that really doesn't happen in other professions because of the visibility and and just just the amount of access that people you know it starts with hey Ryan I love being around you you know hey can we hang out can we go golfing and then it's like oh Ryan by the way my business is going down and you know we want to make sure we can bridge this loan if we just get a loan of three hundred thousand dollars you know it'll be a great product had somebody trying right. to sell me a million dollar idea with soaked milk from cereal and they didn't even have a license or a, an entire property or entire you know operation so it's just a wide range of the unexpected so how did this nfl career transition to towards speaking about you know financial literacy well i I did some speaking in uh in the nfl and then you know realizing you know winning the super bowl everything you believe about yourself comes true for other people and so for me i want people to have that moment in their life and i looked at some of the things that helped me be in that moment and perform in that moment. And, and I want, and that's why I wrote my book. And then especially one of the reasons why I was able to retire is because, you know, I was financially stable. I made decisions that I didn't always like, but that really, really benefited me down the road. And, and so just teaching people and and knowing that there aren't a lot of six, five, 265 pound black men walking around talking about personal finance, you know, Uh Google brought me in to talk about financial literacy. You knew before I even opened my mouth, we were going to have a different kind of conversation. And, uh, and I like going to those places with, with people. And, um, and especially since being in the NFL and knowing what it takes to win at the highest level, to compete at the highest level, um, you know, speaking to corporations and conferences on leadership and teamwork has been really fun and really fun to show people, you know, Hey, have fun with what you're doing. Here's how you compete. Here's how you prepare. And here's how you believe in yourself. So you, you mentioned, you know, speaking at, at Google and these different conferences, is there a primary theme? I'm assuming that several people want to come up and talk to you afterwards 
Um, is there a primary question that they tend to be coming up and asking you, or is it all over the board? Well, it's all over the board. I mean, it's, you know, a, a lot of it um, is just saying, thank you. I never talked about money this way. I never knew about money this way. You know, and, and especially with, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of high schools as well. I'm on the board out here of Economic Literacy Colorado Foundation. We've served over 100,000 kids with financial literacy training. So, you know, it's kids have just, they have questions on questions because all they know is what they see. Right. right. And for me, example, I didn't I didn't know you could pay off debt until after college when, you know, uh, somebody was a mentor to me was like, you know, you should pay that off early. I was like, what do you mean pay off debt? You know, so there's all these things that we inherit about money that we just don't even know until you're exposed to other ideas. So you're exposed to the fact that the more you see, the less money I have. You know, if I've got a Bentley and I've got, you know, gold chains, I guess what I don't have, I don't have $500,000 in liquidity or in assets that are still growing. So things like that, you know, showing one of the things I love doing, especially with youth is showing, you know, some of the young, you know, musicians who've got chains and things like that. And then I put up Dr. Dre, he's got a billion dollars and, mm -hmm. you know, barely where I haven't seen him wear a chain since his NWA days. So just really showing young people and others, you know, wealth doesn't look rich and there are small actions you can take to be wealthy later in life. You bring up a solid point around your upbringing. Um, we actually did a podcast, uh, it must be probably five or six episodes ago, and it's about how to speak to your kids about money. Um, you know, uh, my business partner, Alex, who's on the podcast quite often, um, he, he and I had very different upbringing around conversations around money. And I don't think it was anything that our parents were specifically trying to hide um from us but it was just more everyone's got a different stance on that and to your point uh, if you don't talk about money if you're not learning about money early on you know like you you get to college and you're like wait a minute you can pay off debt early right it's just so yeah. huge in that upbringing um how was how was was money spoken about early on in in your life with your parents when, how did that go about? No, I mean, part of the reason why I wanted to learn about money is because, you know, by the time I got to Notre Dame, I did still have the dream of playing it in the NFL, but I wanted to know what to do with money because all mm -hmm. I knew was, you know, we were, we were middle-class and, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up with two parents who loved each other, who were not chemically dependent. And, uh, so I'll never know how privileged I am, but we did not, uh, make, you know, my parents were not, you know, investing long term, they, you know, the, but at the same time, I got really interesting lessons. Like my dad, you know, I was a young kid, I put the Snicker bar at the grocery store on the, on the conveyor belt. And he says, what are you doing? So I want Snickers. He goes, you have Snicker bar money? I was like, no. So he puts it back and he gets a Milky Way. I'm like, what are you doing? We just, I just wanted the Snickers. And he goes, well, I got Milky Way money. So there are all these kind of little things that really made an impact. Right. Um, but in the grand macro scheme, you know, debt was an issue. Purchasing was an issue. Um, you know, in our family that when I was growing up, the idea that buying something would make you happy was, was prevalent. And that's just not the way, um, to one, be financially literate or two, to go about happiness. So I really had to unlearn a lot of just buying things to buy things because you can, you know, and, and it's really tough when you when you've got the money to buy a Bentley or you have the money to pay for, you know, a twenty thousand dollar vacation or you have the money to pay for a steak dinner for everyone. It's hard to it's hard to say no. It's hard to not. It's hard to understand that if you do any of those things, there are going to be expectations after that. 
you know, like a, a young rookie this year in the NFL got in um, a Bentley SUV. And my thing is, is one, why are you buying a new vehicle? And, and two, wh- who's paying the insurance? And by the way, you're not putting 85 gas in that car. So now you've got Mama Bentley. Right. Is she paying the taxes and insurance on a Bentley, even though she couldn't afford a Bentley? Like, what are we doing here? You know, so those are the things that really get players and really people. And because I played in the NFL, people are always like, hey, athletes, why do athletes go broke here? I'm like, well, really, it's everybody, isn't it? It's not just athletes. It's not just athletes that make poor decisions financially or, or have poor hobbies that cost them a lot of money. But the athletic side really lets people – feel like they're peeking into a world they're not a part of, even though they very much are. Yeah, you bring up a solid point, and I actually hadn't thought about it. It's just, to your point, professional athletes, obviously there's there's quite a few of them that have, some of them have gone bankrupt, but their lifestyle changes dramatically after they retire from their from their sport. And the same thing is true with the American public. Right. Their lifestyle yeah. changes. Right. It's just a different lifestyle change. Either way, the lifestyle is changing oftentimes not for the good, not what they want right. it to be, at least. So well, that, and they're and they, they unexpected. You know, I always tell people you better retire to something instead of from something. And, mm. you know, when you're going through a lifestyle change, I mean, it's very, you know, it's hard to notice hey is does my is my significant other on board with reducing spending can we reduce spending okay if we can't what do we need income wise you know why haven't i you know why have i enabled spending for my partner i mean these are things that okay hey we have to stop spending money i mean and it happens all the time in the nfl where the significant other says well I, i'm used to a certain lifestyle i don't want to do that so like, well, it's right. not a choice <laughs> you know like this is the way we have to live now so it's very complicated. And, you know, I, I read that 90% of Americans have no plan for retirement. They don't know when they're going to retire. They don't know how much money they're going to need every month. They don't know where they, they want to live. And it's so strange that um, you get surprised by things. Because in the NFL, sometimes you get retired because of an injury. Yep. But in life, you get, to, you get to plan out your retirement. And especially at a young age, you've got to be putting things away to really make yourself flexible in the future. Yeah, you know, we have a saying here, control the controllables. And our thing is around, you know, saving money. Forget the investment side of things. Like if people would just focus, you know, you brought up, um, who do you, I think it was Hootie and the Blowfish is, is who you heard say, for every $100 they make, they save 60 of it. Yeah. Right. So if you just have a philosophy like that, where if you're saving, you know, 20 percent of your income. Right. And you, and you actually have a plan for what that's going to do. You can spend the rest, but you got to focus on the saving of the 20 percent. And I think that's what gets lost in that translation around uh, financial planning is, you know, th- there's all these assumptions and mock ups around. Well, if you get X rate of return and inflation is X, and there's all these different variables with a bunch of assumptions, here's the magic number. Unfortunately, if one of those variables is off, that magic number is way off. So that magic number just doesn't exist. So focus on what you can control, which is your savings rate. And I think that's a lot of what you said. Yeah, and also, also the behavioral aspect. You know, listen, one of the hardest things to do in life is to save money. Who's telling us that, you know, it's like you, not only are you battling a lack of expertise and, and practice in saving money, 
but it's also very hard to do. And, and, you know, often if you feel like, oh, this is really hard, oh, I should just buy these. Oh, this is really hard. I really want it, so I'm, I should just get it. And it's like there's a whole behavioral aspect to this of this is going to be hard. Now, okay, now when I, oh, I really want to buy that. I want to save my money. I don't like it, but I know it's going to be good for me, and here's what I'm doing with it. You know, delaying purchases three months to three years, you know, being able to say I can't afford it. Or one of the things I tell people you mentioned it. Now have fun spending that money after you save that money. Hey, if right. you save for something, man, it's like the scene in Wayne's World. You walk in and you buy that guitar <laughs> cash, homie. You know, go in there. Not today, my friend. I've got cash. Like that's a, that's something you can do when you save. And do Love you need that guitar right now? You know, do you need the car right now? How many cars can you drive at the same time? How many houses can you live in at the same time? And we are in a consumer culture, so everything around us tells us to buy and purchase. And that's not the way to create wealth. Yeah. Um, The behavior aspect is huge. And it's behavior and accountability, especially when you're married, having accountability for each other. And you actually speak into this. A lot of the the posts that I've seen um, that you've done on different social media is is around accountability. Uh, Is where did that come from? Is there a specific story that really stuck with you to, to really like drive that home with you? (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I mean, you have to be accountable to achieve elite performance. So in terms of being accountable for your mindset, for the way you played in a game in the NFL, uh, in college even, but I think about the year we won the Super Bowl, um, I made a mistake and the coach, you know, came to the sideline, my offensive line coach was like, Hey, what's going on here? I was like, Oh yeah, I just, uh, I, I heard the wrong play. And then we got to the meeting the next day. And we have this whole fine system, you know, hey, a hundred bucks if you lie, a hundred bucks if you're a prima donna or a hundred bucks if you're in the media. And uh, and my coach stops the film and he says, before we see this next play, I just want you guys to know that a lie was told. And I want you guys to tell me who it was. And he presses play and sure enough, I'm going the wrong way. And there's no play call. There's no bad play. And it's just like, I just went the wrong way. <laughs> I totally lied about it. And we laughed, but it was just this moment of like, hey, don't don't lie you know uh, and just be able to be in the moment and say hey yeah i messed that up but you know one of the things that i loved about football is usually there was always another play another game and you Mm -hmm. could uh, be accountable to your mistakes and also move forward and it's also something i've found that outside of football people really love to avoid accountability they don't like to be accountable in conversations they don't like to have tough conversations there are people who spend their whole careers avoiding conflict when just a tough conversation goes so much further and is so much more efficient than just walking around something. So accountability is huge on championship teams I was on, and uh, it's something that I really try and bring to the outside world, the world outside of football, because I think we need more of that. And there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. And this whole fear of making a mistake really drives us to nonproductive behavior. It, it, I think because of my military background, or not my, but I, my father was in the military. And so because of that, like, I grew up in a very strict household. And, and I think for, and not like, not like the diehard Marine Corps type military is not what I'm talking about, just more of, there's a certain hierarchy, and there was, there was definitely accountability. And if, if you didn't weren't held account, if you didn't do your job, I mean, you were, I was essentially punished or at least explained why that wasn't okay. And to your point, most people are uh, scared to be accountable 
And I sometimes struggle with truly understanding that aspect because I guess it gets back to maybe I'm a control freak, control what you can control. Why do you feel that people are so afraid to be held accountable or to have that that mindset? Well, it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, we love to be comfortable and to be accountable, to, to be honest with yourself, but I am not working hard enough. I am being lazy. I am not listening. I am distracted with things that don't really matter. I mean, that's very tough. It's tough to to tell that to yourself. And um, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, you kind of touched on it. There's an, also an underlying lack of belief. If you're not willing to be accountable, you're also not believing in your ability to do something. When you talk about you know, being raised in a strict household, you know, that to me means you had high expectations. You had expectations of when you were told to get, you know, take out the trash or clean your room that you do that. And also in that expectation is somebody sharing the belief with you that Ryan, you can do these things. So we're not going to accept anything less. And what people fail to see is a lack of accountability equals your lack of belief in yourself. You must be accountable to be accountable to yourself about what you can achieve and where you can go in life. And when people realize that, that not only when you avoid accountability, you're avoiding belief in yourself, that's when you can really see some powerful transformations. Yeah, uh, you know, it really starts that belief or, pardon me, the, the mindset that um, I think it's very, I mean, with all the noise out there, I think oftentimes we don't actually hear all of the voices in our own heads. <laughs> and then when we yeah. do sit down alone and all the voices start going crazy, it's hard to really like figure out, okay, who the heck am I? And what it is it, what is it I want to be? And do I have the confidence to do it? Yeah. Like, and, it, and do I believe I can achieve this? You know, right. Oh, uh, you know, that wasn't me in the meeting. Uh, oh, you know, I will, the, the, the presentation went bad because, you know, uh, some, such and such happened. It's like, well, did you believe you're going to have a great presentation? Did you believe in what you were selling or what you were showcasing? Did you prepare? Where was your belief? Where was your belief? Oh, uh, uh, I was about to say, hey, uh, and it's like, okay, now reverse that. Hey, I believed in myself coming in here. I prepared. I did a great presentation. I believed I had a great presentation. And if they don't want the product, I believe I'll find something else. And like that's a totally different way to do the same exact thing. And we, and we, and this, even athletes, myself, even the night before the Super Bowl, I said, I am terrified. My greatest accomplishment will be my greatest failure if we lose this game. But you know what? I also am excited. I am prepared. I can go out there tomorrow and kick some tail and I will have the time of my life playing in the game that I always wanted to play in. Like who's stopping me there? You know, what can happen in a game that takes me out of, my complete and utter joy and expectation to be a champion. And when you ha when you choose your mindset, you create the world you want. I think this might be the perfect way to end this podcast because I think a lot of when we talk about money, it really does be, it it starts with your mindset and your belief in what you're trying to do, and then the accountability side of it, which all goes back to mindset. So, um. I think this is the perfect way to end it. So Ryan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts and, and stories. And uh, for those of you who are listening, if you want to reach out to us at beerandmoney.net, uh, and if you have any questions, uh, you can scroll to the bottom there and send us uh, your questions. 
And other than that, make sure everyone has a good rest of your day. Thanks. This podcast is for informational purposes only and it's not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Fairmont, California 91711, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, FEMBRA, FEMRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2020-96820, expiration March 2022.